Traders Point, how we doing? So good to be with you. And we're gonna keep beating that drum, guys. We are days away from our first Easter services. You guys excited for this? I'm telling you, God's been doing so much around here over the past few weeks. And uh, put, add that to the fact that our lead pastor hasn't been preaching the past few weeks. I'm telling you, this place is going to erupt on Easter weekend. It is a weekend you don't want to miss. Like, have you ever seen somebody put Mentos in like a two liter Coke bottle? I believe that is what Easter is gonna look like here next weekend. And for those watching online, we have campuses all over our city, four services from Saturday night all the way through Sunday. We would love for you to come and check one out. Uh, But as far as today goes, we're continuing in our Jesus Is series. And really the whole concept of this series, just open it up the Bible and say, Jesus, who do you say that you are? And what we've seen is that Jesus is polarizing. What he's been doing is he's been making these I am statements. He's literally saying, I am God. He he forces you to love him or hate him, right? There's no middle of the road, Jesus, like he's fine. But I hear people talk about this sometimes. Like, I like a little bit of Jesus, like he's coffee for your creamer. Like, I like a little bit of Jesus, like, like you're talking about like Hootie and the Blowfish. Like those two kind of go to the same, like I like a few of their songs. But what I wanna say is if you're here today and you would say, I think I like Jesus, I don't know if I love Jesus. One, I'm glad that you're here, but but I do wanna say this. You don't know Jesus. Because here's the truth. Jesus is lovable or he is hateable, but he is not likable. Do you know what I mean? He will force you to make a decision on who he is because here's the truth. He is stepping up saying, I am God. I am the only way to God the Father. So one, he's either a deranged man who should be completely rejected or he is the son of God. He is the Messiah and he is the one and only way to God the Father. We have to make the decision. Are we gonna love him or are we gonna hate him? But to like him is to not know him enough. So we're glad you're here today. And what we're gonna be doing is just continuing in this conversation of looking at these I am statements that Jesus made. And this is the one that he makes today. If you're taking notes, you can write it in the message title. He says, Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the gate. This is his way of saying, I am the only way. I am the way to eternal life and to the enhanced life that we all long for here, right? So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get to John chapter 10, starting in verse one. We're gonna read a few verses here and then we'll kind of break it down from there, okay? So starting in chapter 10, verse one, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate, well, they must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, all right? So you're probably right now in the same spot as everyone else, confused. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You are the gate. I don't have a lot of uh, work history with gates or people claiming to be them. Um, 
So you're in the same spot. We'll read here in a little bit that everyone else there was that too. But before we talk about what Jesus is talking about, I want us to step back and to ask, why is Jesus saying what he was saying? Because what we just picked up, what's going on, we read it like it was really normal. It was a really big deal. Jesus just stepped up to the faces of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the leaders of the society, and says, you guys are thieves and robbers. To put this into context, this would be like someone showing up in Washington, D.C. at a political rally, and this candidate is about to go up and speak, but Jesus steps up and said, hey, I'm going to let you finish, but I just want everyone here to know that those people are thieves and robbers. I'm the only way. Good day. And then steps off. What provoked Jesus? What stirred him up to the point that he goes nose to nose with the religious leaders? What upset him so much that he would do this? Well, to figure that out, we have to go back a chapter. So we're going to be in John chapter 9 for a second. Just flip a page. Because we have a break in chapter here, but there's no break in conversation. What happens in chapter 9 spills over into chapter 10. And we see that what all this kind of got started from was a healing that Jesus is healer, right? And he does something that the world has never seen before. He heals a blind man. But take a look at this. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And just to give you a little bit of a help here, if you ever try to give God two options, chances are there's going to be a third. It's like, God, is it A or B? He's like, let's see. Um, he says, it was not because of his sins of his parents' sins. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And I think this is a, just a good moment to pause and just to think about your theology, because whether you've named it or not, maybe you're living this way of when something bad happens to you or you experience any kind of pain or loss, your mind goes to, well, God must be upset with me. God must be punishing me. But what we see through Christianity is because Jesus already has paid the penalty for our sins and the punishment we deserved, that when things happen, it's not because we're being punished. It's not because someone did something wrong. But there is an opportunity because we live in a broken world for God's glory to be shown through whatever that is. And for sometimes that, that means that there's a healing that needs to be taken place and God will heal you in that moment to bring glory, to show that he is powerful above all of it. But sometimes God gets his glory through faith. That when you're going through a rough situation and it's just trial after trial and it doesn't lift, but you keep going, your testimony, your ability to endure, that is what gives God the glory. That you're just, people are looking at your life like, how is she still going? How is she still standing? And they ask and you say, I don't know. But all I know is that God has given me everything that I need. I know I've lost a lot, but I will never lose God. So I'm gonna be okay. There are moments for God to get the glory always. But Jesus meets this man on the side of the road, been, been blind from birth, right? And Jesus sees him, has a little conversation and says, I'm gonna heal this man. And he spits in some mud, rubs it all together, puts it on this guy's eyes. They wipe it off. He was blind and now he can see. There is a miracle that happens. Everyone there is pretty excited, as you can imagine. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders are 
angry. They are so upset right now. And can you try to like process that? Why would people be angry that a blind man was just healed? Well, if you're the leader and your leadership is based on the power that you have, that you are the ones that are the gatekeepers between the people and God. When someone comes through and has more power than you do, that makes you a little uneasy. When there's someone that comes through and is doing things that you can't replicate or duplicate, you get threatened. And when we get threatened by God, we will either submit and say, okay, that's you, or we will start a fight. They chose the latter. So this man is walking through town. As you can imagine, he's the talk of the town. They're like, this is the guy. Remember, he was blind. He's always been blind. Look at him now. He's seeing everything. And then finally, the Pharisees grab him. They bring him into the temple and they set him down at the table. It's like law and order style, right? Like they're investigating this situation. Like, tell me where you were, why you were there, spotlights on him, and answer after answer. They are not liking his answers. And finally, they get so frustrated. They pull the ultimate trump card, a card that I've never seen pulled on an adult, only on kids. They get so mad. They say, you know what? We're done here. We're calling your mom. I promise you. If you read this story, that's what they say. You know, we've had enough of this. Nice try. We're calling your parents. They bring in his parents and his parents say the same thing. Like, we, I don't know. Like, he was blind. I promise you I know that much. I don't know how he can see or why he can see. He's an adult. Talk to him. But they just keep peppering him questions and peppering him questions. Who is this man that healed you? Who do you think he is? And look at his response. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't know if he's the person you're saying he is, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I don't have all the answers for who this man is, but if you're asking me, all I can tell you is I was blind and now I can see. What a beautiful testimony. What a beautiful story. And there's so many of us that have stories like that where you were blind, maybe not physically, but you were blind to so many of the things of God and then God rescued you, God saved you and now you have a new life in him. And I just wanna take a moment to pause here because I think in his one statement there, he captures what it looks like for us to be able to share our testimonies, to share our stories. And it's just in three lines here. So it's, I was, for him, it was, I was blind. And then Jesus is the healer. I'm no longer blind. Now I can see. A lot of us, our stories can fit into this. Who you were before Jesus, who you became when you met Jesus, and now the life you, you live. I know for me, I was someone who tried so hard to get it right. I tried so hard to be not just good, but perfect. I had this lie in my head that if I could be good enough, that my goodness could take away the pain of other people. If I could just shine a little bit brighter, if I could do the right thing, then I could not only help myself to deal with the ache that I have, this want to be right and to be good, but I could also take away the pain of others but it never worked out. I could never be that good. I always fell short. And on my good days, I was arrogant because I believed I was better. On my bad days, I was crushed by the weight of not being able to live up to my own expectations for myself. But then I met Jesus and Jesus is the vine. Jesus is the one that when I heard this story, this gospel of who he is, I realized all the longings that I had, that want to be good, that want to be right, that want to be perfect, he had already done it. He truly did live the perfect life. And that want that I had to be just good enough to take away the pain of others, he literally already has done it. And because of who Jesus is, now all I have to do is come to him and surrender all of that. 
that I become a branch connected to the vine and he produces the fruit. I come to him and I don't have to bear all of that weight. He now carries that weight. And now I experience true and good and real life, a rich life that I have in Jesus. And I try to take that weight up every once in a while and God kindly reminds me that is not mine to carry and I get to experience a beautiful life. You have a story and we would love to hear your story. There, there is power in your story. Even if you're saying, I don't know if my story's dramatic enough, I don't know if it has enough trauma in it. If there's a moment where who you were and then Jesus met you and now you're different, you have a story that could benefit and impact this church. It could benefit the people sitting next to you. And we would love to hear it so that we could celebrate with you. So just type this down, take a picture of it, tpcc.org story. Because this is the most powerful things we can do, guys. We open up God's word and we look at this love letter that he's written, how he interacts with people, how he saves. And that's a beautiful thing to look back and see how God worked 2,000 years ago. But it's also beautiful to look at how God's working right now, this week in Indianapolis and all around this state. Share your story. The Pharisees didn't love his story. The more that they pushed the answers that they got, they just liked less and less until finally they've given up. They've, they've kicked his parents out and then finally they grab him and they throw him out of the temple. They throw him out of the sanctuary. They said, you can't stay here. And this beautiful thing happens. Jesus is waiting for him. Even when we are rejected by people, God is waiting for us on the other side. And he comes into contact. He hasn't seen him since he healed him. And Jesus asks him, he says, do you believe in the son of man? And he says, I wanna believe, I, I, I wanna believe. Who is he? And Jesus says, I am he. And then look at the man's response. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. Hear me when I say this, Jesus is lovable or he is hateable, but he is not likable. He is beloved to the point that you have to worship him or hated to the point that you will want to kill him. These are the two camps that we have in front of us between John 9 and John 10. This is what really angered Jesus. This is what caused him to step up and to call them thieves and robbers. It's because of how they were treating his people. The one, they didn't care about this blind man. He'd been blind his whole life. And then when he got healed, then they throw him even further out of society, out of the temple. And he says, this is not okay. I have come back to be the good shepherd of this flock. All right, so that's why he steps up, says all that stuff. Everyone's confused, but he's gonna double down now. So back in John chapter 10, look at what he says. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. You guys are in the same boat, I'm with you. So he explained to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. These are the words of Jesus. 
So he steps in and he begins to explain it. And maybe you're still in the same spot of like, still not sure what gate this is and where it goes. All right, so what he's referring to, he's building these two metaphors back to back of he's the good shepherd, the people are the sheep and he is the gate. So when you think about a sheepfold, this is what it would have looked like in ancient Israel. And this is big enough, a handful of families probably would have used this. They would have put all of their sheep into this fold. And then there's only one way in, one way out. This is the gate. And what he said earlier was, hey, anyone that gets in here that doesn't come through the front door is a thief or a robber. Like we can, we can make sense of that, right? Like um, I'm not saying I have ever broken into a house, but if you do, you don't get to go through the front door, right? You gotta go through an open window, you gotta slide through somewhere else. And Jesus says, those that have climbed in over the fence have snuck in, they are not the good shepherds. They are false shepherds, they are hired hands. And now Jesus has come to the front and he says, I'm the gate. I'm the way in, I'm the way out. And what I'm here to do right now is to call all of my sheep out of these false folds that they have been living into. And I wanna welcome them into God's flock. They have been abused, they have been mistreated, but now that I am here, they will hear my voice and they will follow me. You get the picture that Jesus is coming for his sheep. He's coming for his people. Look at this. It says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. His voice first went to those in Israel, God's select people and he called them out of who they were. But God is not done calling people out of false folds. God is not done calling people away from false shepherds and leaders in today. Because maybe you're saying, I didn't grow up with religious, I don't think I have a shepherd or a flock, but you do. There are also false shepherds that are worldly, people that demand things from you, that steal from you, that make you feel less than. You've believed a lie about who you are and Jesus steps up and he says, I am the good shepherd. And now I'm standing at the gate and all who come through me will experience a rich and satisfying life. He actually pulls out three things there that he says, if you go through this gate, it will be very different because I'm not like them. He says, the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy. And maybe you've heard those verses before, maybe out of context. And you've always thought that those verses were directed towards the devil. And I'm not saying they don't apply to the devil, but when Jesus uses them here, he's talking about the religious leaders. And he contrasts himself to that. And he says, they steal, they kill, and they destroy. But me, here's what I'm coming to offer. Here's what's on the other side of me. He says, they will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures and they will have a rich and satisfying life. So let's just go through each one of them of what Jesus is talking about here, what it means to have life to the full. The first one, he says, they will be saved. They will be saved. And what Jesus is talking about here is eternal life, that we can have safety and security in him, not just in this world, but in the world to come. Because there's this part within us that longs for safety, that longs for security. And when we don't have it, a lot of times what will come in is fear. Then when we don't feel safe, we don't feel secure, fear will come in and it will begin to actually shape who we are. We will become people that we were not designed or created 
to be. I know for me, I, I spent a lot of years working for Indy Parks. And I worked at all the parks. You ever see one? I worked there, all right? And I worked in some tough neighborhoods. The kids were great. The adults were pretty tough. These guys would come in and they would want to play basketball and they would want to play basketball for free. But it was actually $3 to play. And we all knew the rules, but they would come in, check in and go to get in the gym. And I'd be like, hey, real quick, I'm going to need that three. And they're like, I'm not playing. I'm not paying to play. And I was like, well, then you're not playing. And it would immediately go from that conversation to, hey, let's fight. I'm like, okay, well, we missed a few steps here. Um, and base, you can look at me, right? Like I'm not built for a lot of that. And so like, take it easy, man. But there's only so many times that you can flip the panic switch underneath the, you know, and nobody comes that you're like, all right. And then that fear grows and you begin to get more tense and more worried and you have two choices. Either you can just leave and run or you become someone. And my fear turned me into somebody I was not. I am not a tough guy, but it would turn into, hey, you know, it would escalate. They would wanna fight and I'd be like, all right, I get off at nine. I'll see you in the parking lot. You should have seen their faces. Their eyes would get big and it's like either he knows something that I don't know or he's crazy, but either way, no one ever met me in the parking lot, thank God. <laughs> but it shaped me, it changed me. I became someone that was hard. I was not that person. But that walking around with like clenched hands and just being nervous all the time, it, that's what brought out of me was fear. Jesus says the opposite. He says, you will be saved. You will have eternal security Here's what that means, you have salvation. And when you have that kind of peace, knowing what happens forever, it seems to bring you a little bit of peace here in the right now. And we go from being afraid to being saved. And God says that this is, this is the gospel, that we fell short, that we have sinned, that we didn't measure up, but, but God came, Jesus sent his son, died the death we deserved, lived the life that we should have lived, and now we have that. We, we are secure in that. That's what he talks about here in the first part. You, you are saved. Talking about the eternal life. And then look at what he says next. He says, they will come and go freely and will find good pastures. So as the first statement um, referred to eternal life, this one speaks to here in the now. This idea that they will come and they will go. This is day in and day out. The picture that we get here is that Jesus came to that fold and he called all of us out from these different folds that we were in and he brought us into this new fold, God's flock. But he didn't just keep us there to have like this holy huddle, right? It's not like, okay, just wait right here until you die and then we'll go to the good place. No, it says that he rescued us from over there from that false way of living and then he brings us into this new way of living where we stay there, we are secure, but then he brings us out and we get to live our days experiencing this enhanced life that we all long for. And when you begin to see this life that Jesus has for you, it really brings Psalm 23 to life. Psalm 23 moves from just being a poem to being what life looks like with Jesus. Take a look at this. This is the enhanced life that when we step through that gate, when we have Jesus, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Imagine waking up with that kind of peace. Nothing to fear, nothing to worry. I have all that I need. 
Now he lets me rest in green meadows and he leads me beside peaceful streams. Think about this. Think about how many people in your life encourage you to rest. You know what? Go take a nap. Think about the leaders that are above you. How many of them are worried about you getting enough rest? And God says, when I'm the shepherd of this flock, I promise you, I will make sure, I will build it into the rhythms of your life. You will find rest. You will find green meadows. He says, he renews my strength. Think about how much of life right now is just taking your strength, taking every bit that, that, that they can. And he says, no, I actually renew your strength. Go ahead, live the life to the full, give everything you got. But you know, when you come back to me, I'm gonna fill you back up more full than you've ever been. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. He's gonna lead me every step of the way. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. This is that even if kind of prayer that I believe God is with me. I believe he has a good life for me. But even as we go, I know I live in a broken world. I know there's gonna be some darkness, some pain. But the picture you get is that God is gonna be with me. You see like this little kid kind of reaching out to hold his, his, his father's hand. And he can't see, it is dark and he's worried and he's a little bit of nervous. But the only thing that brings him peace is knowing that he's not alone. That it doesn't matter what's on the other side of this. If God is with me, I'm gonna be okay. This is, this is the life that he's talking about. It says, your rod and your staff, they protect me and they comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. This is that idea, once again, that we are gonna come across people that maybe attack us, that take shots at us, that our enemies may surround us. But here's the thing. He says, you prepare a feast in the presence of my enemies. This is the idea that, yeah, the attacks will come, the enemies will come, but their presence is gonna be overshadowed by God's presence. And I, no matter, no matter what comes this way, I know that my God is with me, so we're gonna be all right. Because I'm not afraid of anything. Who do I have to fear? The one person I had to fear was the one that could not only destroy the body and my soul as well, but he he decided that I was worth dying for. He's already saved me. He's already protected me. So who's going to stop me now? You prepare a feast. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Here it is. My cup overflows with blessings. You've been too good to me. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. If you want something to say before you go to bed at night, followers of Jesus, that is the line. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Whatever happened that day, it went good, it went bad. Wherever you're laying your head down at night, you can close your eyes and be, you can rest assured that you will live all of your days in the house of the Lord. So those are the first two things, that you will be saved. You're gonna come out and you're gonna come back. You have these green pastures and then the third thing that he speaks to is kind of a culmination of the first two. He says, they will have a rich and satisfying life. Another translation says it like this. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So he's packaging both here. That as a result of our eternal destination being secured, and as a result of him being with us every step of the way, he said, you're gonna have life and you're gonna have life to the full. The terms here, rich or, or life to the full, it denotes a surplus. It was a mathematical term that at the end of the day, the week, the year, that you would have a surplus. That was it meant to, to have a rich life and a full life. And with Jesus, what he's saying here is if you step through this gate, if, if you come into this and you experience new life with me in this relationship, 
you will have something that the world cannot offer. And at the same time, I'm not only going to give you what you could never gain in the world, I'm going to secure you in a place. I'm going to place you in my hand that what I gave you, the world can't take. The storms can come, enemies can come, anybody can come, but who's going to take you from my hand? You will have a surplus. Here's the, here's the idea here, is that if I have Jesus, even if I never get another good thing, if he never gives me another good thing, or even this, if he takes every good thing that he's already given me, if I have Jesus, I will die with a surplus. One more time, we'll get there. <laughs> if I have Jesus, if I have this relationship with him, no matter what the day brings, no matter what the day takes, I will always have a surplus. Come what may, our God is for us. That this is the secret to life. If you want to know the secret to life, this is it. This is how to be content in any and every situation. And we learn about this in Philippians chapter 4. Look at this. It says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. Anybody in here living on almost nothing? or with everything. This is this idea that people think, especially those that don't have anything, you think that if I had just had more of this thing, then I would be okay, but that's not the truth. I meet with people all the time that have everything that you could possibly dream of, and they got it, and it's still empty. And he says, but I've learned the secret, that I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything who Christ, through Christ who gives me strength. This is the secret. That when I go through this life, it is not a clean road. It is no longer that rain is not gonna fall on me. It's no longer, it does not mean that I won't experience pain or loss or any of that. But what I have been given is God's spirit. And what I've been given cannot be taken. So if I have that, I have a surplus. So I'll know how to live with nothing. And if God blesses me with a bunch of worldly resources, I'll know how to live with that too. That won't corrupt me and this won't kill me. Because I have Jesus. This is what he says is on the other side of him. And think about this. He's not just saying, if you go that way, then you will have this life. He's saying, through me. You have to go through me to do this. This is why I'm saying he's so polarizing. You got to love him or you got to hate him, but he won't let you stay in the middle. And you see, if you just follow Jesus's life, just a few more chapters after what we read, we see that the Pharisees just get more and more upset. They get angry that they are losing more and more of their reputation and their power. So they actually decide that it's time. They plot a way to kill Jesus. And they don't do it in the middle of the day. They don't do it when he's teaching at the synagogue. They wait until the middle of the night and they sneak out and they find him off the beaten path. Because the true blind person in this story was not the blind man, it was the Pharisees. They could not see Jesus for who he was. They just saw him as a threat that needed to be dealt with. And you get this amazing picture where the, Jesus is with his, his followers, his disciples, and then around the corner come these Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers that have been bred to do this, 
to arrest people, to kill people. They are warriors, not afraid of anything. And they step up and they are not the first ones to speak. They stand there and you almost get the feel that they're standing at a distance. Jesus is the one who steps up when he sees them coming with their lanterns and their gear. And look at what he says. Who are you looking for? He asked. And you almost get the thing that like, they don't even want to answer. They're like, uh, well, it's, um, did you catch the name? Is it Jehoshaphat? No. Um, I don't even know if you guys seen him. Uh, if you have, maybe not. If not, no, we'll go. But uh, is Jesus the Nazarene? Have you guys heard of him? And look at what Jesus says. I am he. Another one of these I am statements. He says, I am God. I'm not just Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth. I'm not just the person they told you about. I'm God. Judas, who betrayed him, this is one of his closest friends, is the one that brought them there, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Try to process this. The most powerful empire in the world has just come to arrest Jesus. He steps up, says, I am he. As his voice goes, all of these men fall to the ground, almost like they're bowing before him. They do not take Jesus. Jesus goes willingly. No one takes his life. He lays it down for us. This is some powerful superhero type stuff. It reminds me, my son, he's seven years old right now, and he is loving reading in general, uh, but he's loving, he just started reading the Bible. And every night he'll read a story and he'll come down and he'll tell me about what happened and how wild it was. And he had this amazing line the other night. He said, the Bible is crazy, but it's true. I was like, man, I don't think we could sum it up any better than that. He also said that he's thinking about being a preacher one day. So this is his first sermon point. I'm speaking it into existence. My man, Reese the Beast, will be up here one day, Lord willing, preaching the gospel. But they take him and he goes in and they bring him in front of the Roman leaders, Pilate, and it's a sham. They're saying all this stuff about him and they end up deciding, yeah, we're gonna execute him. And they beat him to it within an inch of his life and, and they take him to the cross. And there he hangs on this cross for you and for me and he dies. But before he dies, he, he shouts out, it is finished. And people really didn't understand what he was talking about with that. So they take him off of this cross and they place him in a tomb thinking this is gonna be his forever home. But we know that three days later, he rose. Three days later, he showed the world that he was who he said he was, that he was the good shepherd, that he didn't come to exploit the sheep. He didn't come to take advantage of them. He actually laid down his life. Even when the cost of theirs was his own, he went through with it all. And here's the message that comes from the cross. The good shepherd's voice could not be silenced. The gate could not be closed. Not even death or sin could shut the gate that Jesus has said that we can all come through. He is the only way. It, it reminds me of the song I was listening to this morning, this worship song. And it said, God, I, I thank you for all the doors that you kept me from. 
We all have doors in our life that we almost walk through. Doors that we think back now, if we would have went through there, man, our lives would look a lot different. Some doors we did go through. I know for me, um, when I was 16 years old, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna share something here that uh, never told my mom, so, hey mom. Um, I almost went through a door that would have changed my life. I was in a spot where I wanted more money, I wanted more things, and I wasn't willing to wait, so I thought about selling drugs. I knew some people, I could get connected to it, I could make some pretty quick money really fast. But it, I couldn't do it. Something about it, I couldn't go through with it. One, I think because I would be a horrible drug dealer. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. I would take peace over money any day. I'd be like, no, you just take it. You just pay me back when you, when you get around to it. Don't worry about it. But I believe God, I thank him that I didn't go through that door. But there were other doors I went through. But even through all of those hallways and all of those doors, I came to a space where I did get to go through his door, where I did get to meet Jesus. And on the other side of that, I've got to experience life and life to the full. And I just wanna say for those here today that you've went through that door, it does not matter what door, what was on the other side, how long you have been there. I just want you to hear this. There is a good shepherd calling for you by name. There is a God on this side who wants to have a relationship with you, who is strong enough to pull you from whatever door you're behind now to lead you out into green meadows and pastures and a river that is overflowing into a life that you could not imagine without him, that life is available for you. At all of our campuses, we're gonna have people in every room. If you just wanna come down and you wanna step through that gate, step through that door and begin a relationship with Jesus, you can do that today. What I wanna do right now is I, I just wanna pray. I wanna pray that we would not pretend like Jesus is just likable, that he's just a little extra but that we could open up God's word and we could hear who he says he is, to hear how much he loves us, to see the full picture as much as we can and to be overwhelmed with love in a way that changes how we worship and changes how we live so that we can experience life to the full. The surplus is available now. A lot of us are living like those funds are in, on hold. They're available now. God wants us to experience life now. Would you pray with us? God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that you are the door. You are the gate. And on the other side of you and only on the other side of you is true life, is the good life, is a satisfying life, is a rich life. God, I pray that's where we wanna be that we look at this, the world, and we look at how fast it is and how it shines and how easy it is to be tempted. But God, I pray that we would come to know your voice, that we would follow you, that we would step into that door and we would receive all that you have for us, security and safety and salvation, that you would be with us every step of the way. And God, we would know the secret to life that if we have you, then we have more than we could have ever asked for. And if we have you, we will always have a surplus. Jesus, we love you. 
It's in your perfect name that we pray. Amen. Northwest, what we're going to do right now is I just want to make sure that you heard that invitation. That if you want to pray with someone, you want to meet with something, you want to begin that relationship, step through that gate, you can today. We would love to help you take that step. We're going to line this stage with people. Please don't leave here without talking to someone. And for all of us, as we go, don't wait. Live that Psalm 23 life. Live a life of love. Live knowing that your good shepherd is leading you, that he is with you, that he wants you to experience a rich and satisfying life. Church, we love you. Have a great day and even better week. We can't wait to see you back here next Sunday for Easter. Love you guys.